0: Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to Tune In, the podcast series of the Yiddish Book Center. I'm Aaron Lansky and I'm broadcasting today from Tel Aviv, where I'm here with Mendy Kahan, the founder and director of Yung Yiddish, one of the most interesting organizations in Israel. Mendy, Shalom Aleichem.
1: Aleichem Ashulem Teir Aaron Lansky. How about if we start out by you telling me how you got to Israel in the first place? You weren't born here, right? I wasn't born here. I was born in Belgium. Um, but actually, on some, in some way, I'm connected. To the, from when I was six years old, or that I remember, five, we, we came to, vac- to vacation in Israel, and my father would meet here his sisters, who also survived the Holocaust. My father is a survivor, and I remember they would meet here for the first time, and we would come and visit them. Visit them when I was five and seven and then nine and twelve and and so actually I know Israel. I saw it. I saw it growing up. It was always the country of sun, and the country of uh, of Jewish rejuvenation and
0: uh, and vacation and right. But the one thing it wasn't was a country that affirmed Yiddish. Despite uh, the fact that it was many Yiddish speakers who founded I the country I and that exactly. Ben Gurion wrote his first book in Yiddish, but nonetheless,
1: exactly. So, like, I, I do remember that uh, we would speak Yiddish at the kibbutz and uh, in the living room and in in Holon uh, with my family and and so forth. But seemingly, Yiddish was not um, was not in the buses and and like <laughs> on the radio. Uh, still, um, not knowing, the p- like as a kid, it yeah. felt Hamish. Uh, it felt uh, Jewish. It felt Yiddish and Hebrew was also the miracle still. But Hebrew was, of was course, there. Of was, was great. But Yiddish, no. And afterwards, when I came, I came here to study at university when I was eighteen. When I was eighteen, I was at the shiva for a while, and then I went to university.
0: Right, but we should explain. Yeah. This. You came from a Hasidic family, right?
1: I came from a Hasidic, uh, new Orthodox. Uh, Cosmopolitan, open-minded family. It's maybe you really touched all bases. Yeah, yeah. but uh, but I, I think I think these are terms which were quite familiar when I grew up. Right. Like the to manage that, the Mensch that's answer got into light, and you need to know languages and how to manage in the world. We were not at all Fachnyokt, but we had to <laughs> eat kosher and then pray three times a day. This was normal also. Um, So, I come to Israel and I study all these interesting things, French literature, uh, German philosophy. um, And it is then, after a while, after five years of studying at university, um, mainly humanities, that I I said, okay, I will also go and make already a BA in Yiddish too, if already I know French and English and comparative. And... um, and it is then that actually the big world of yiddish opened up because i knew yiddish findeheim right? gerät in Haim, uh, like but uh, then i started to study with these great scholars john schmero this is hebrew university this because, is hebrew yeah. university and and i become aware of the depth of yiddish of its long history of how it brings the jew from the middle ages into into the european world into um, you know, how we, how we invent our legends in Vermaiza and in Spir, and how we take from other cultures, uh, Elio Bucher, how Yiddish lives in Venice, how Yiddish lives in Krakow, how, how the words that I heard my father say, like stories or, or, or idioms, Suddenly, I meet them in, in pages which were written in the 15th, 16th century. And, you know, so it connected me into right, this right, big, right. big history. And I said, and then I said two things. I said one thing, like, I'm a Yiddish speaker and I d- wasn't aware of all this. So, how can I expect anyone who lived in this Israel, who grew up where Yiddish was a no-no. So, obviously, they will not know. And um, this was one thing. And then also, on the other hand, I realized how much the Holocaust had actually hit us. Hmm. Which I never knew before. Before it was, you know, my father was in Auschwitz, but he was a survivor. And look, here I am. He has children. We have a country. Everything is okay. And then I realized it's not so okay yet it still needs to get a little bit better to be okay and I started to go and study Yiddish and to be involved with it and in order you know and and in order to to try to make this not just an individual uh, voyage uh, I started to do things which resemble quite much what you did and actually uh, you were An inspiration because then the National Yiddish Book Center was already starting it
0: was in 1980 uh, we first met and probably it was before our first daughter was born must have been 1990 or 91 something like that Mm. and I I should I should tell because I I, I'll never quite forget how we met Uh, I was there for a UNESCO conference UNESCO had decided they were going to uh, recognize Yiddish as an endangered language and help uh, assure its preservation so they called the meeting in Israel of representatives of different countries around the world. And I think Sam Norwich and I were the two representatives from the United States. And they brought us all to, was it Hebrew University? Hebrew University. Yes, University. they brought us, in. Yeah. And, and, and I remember, uh, uh, I think Sutzkava was there at the beginning and all the Godoylam was yeah, sitting around yeah. the table. And for several days we all debated the future of Yiddish. And finally I couldn't wait any longer and I raised my hand and I said, so there was a representative of the Israeli government there and I said, so I only have one question. How much of a budget do we have to work with to realize all of our chalimas that we've you know, articulated here? Mm-hmm. And he very sheepish, sheepishly said, I'm really sorry, but we spent the entire budget from UNESCO bringing you all to Israel to talk about what to do. So there was no money to deal, deal with it. But I volunteered the last day that I would... Uh, write write up the proceedings, you know, everything we had decided and recommended. And I would write this up in English that night. And I went back to my hotel room in some big high-rise hotel, which I can't recall at the moment, in Jerusalem somewhere. And I typed and typed and typed till maybe 1 o'clock in the morning. And I finally finished. And back in those days, you had to bring your own printer with you. And I had this portable Kodak printer. And I took it, and I put an adapter on the plug, and I plugged it into the wall. And I managed to knock out all the lights on an entire floor of the hotel. They must have thought they were under attack. So at two in the morning, not knowing what else to do, I remembered that you had performed that evening in a musical production and who else did I know who would have a uh, who was young enough yeah. to have a printer? And I think I called you about two yeah, in the morning yeah, and you yeah. were exceedingly gracious, Mendy, and I came over to your house you. and we printed the documents and uh Day and we were friends ever after. It was and, yeah. and, and and then we started
1: to work together. And, and we, we had this idea of opening the, the Israeli office of the, of the National Yiddish Book Center. And this was actually a great, great help for, for this whole story of Yiddish, because um, my feeling was uh, there were many Yiddish organizations here in Israel. Like the Weltrat for Yiddish, which doesn't was exist. Was supported anymore. by the government, right? Sort I don't know if supported by the government or supported by interest groups, by 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 uh, Landsmannschaften or from Vilna from others. See, see. There, there, there were there was enough critical mass who were interested in Yiddish here in Israel, who were readers, who were reading right, the books right. printed in in in, in the state. But the the main problem was that they were introvert. They did not they did not want to to be seen on the outside, but right. they, they were happy to to cater for themselves and um, And it and, certainly wasn't young, right? And it was it wasn't young, no, yeah. but uh, but it it wasn't that old either Like they were 40 50 uh, on the other hand They were impregnated with with worlds of Yiddish that we don't know uh, sure, anymore sure. like with So these were things which um, and, and so then, when, when uh, through the help of the National Yiddish Center, we, I started to build a little base. I started to collect Yiddish books to be a sammler. And with these books, and with the help of, of, um, of uh, Amherst, we, we, I remember we made the first Yiddish festival. The right. first Yiddish right. festival right. In, in, at the Cinemathèque uh, which then I made cultural programs around it and uh, we were at CNN and we, we I tried to to open up To open up the the, the, the stage for Yiddish for the younger generation, right? Uh, we had both many things to do and the National Yiddish Book Center focused on the states put some uh, seed money uh, to create young Yiddish right. and uh, and, and then started like uh, the story, which Yngidish is still f- trying to find its way into, into Israeli reality. Um, we collected more books, we made more events, we created this little stage in Jerusalem which became and and you know with all kinds of strategies to make it a a Hampshire to make it something that repeats itself every week, that there should be a Thursday, that everyone should know that there's something happening in Jerusalem. So here we are
0: 21 years uh, later, So uh, what's what's happening here?
1: uh, What's happening? so, uh, so many. Well, we, we have now a collection of fifty, more than fifty thousand books and newspapers, and um, which maybe, if I say to numbers, it seems no. If you have a million, what are you going to be with fifty? <laughs> but these are very interesting books because it's like a kaleidoscope of the whole world. People came here with the books from everywhere, right, and also right. before the war. And I find here magazines from 1908 and and, and, really? and eight w- so when did they bring them they have to have been brought before the, the war right before the war and and you can just imagine like you know in what conditions like like how many could how much could you schlep and they suddenly you have a whole uh, the whole series of the volksgesund which is like a little medical magazine in vilna hmm. printed 1930 uh, and to 32 all the numbers cherishedly kept by the mother and were later given to me by the daughters who uh, actually it was very interesting because they had an age difference of five years the daughters and one daughter hated Yiddish and one daughter a little less you know like but you I felt see. really how, how, how history went through them or how they went through history mm-hmm. so we have a very very interesting collection of books which now are used of, co- of course for readers and of course for researchers but uh, but also uh, for exhibits I I go to schools I make exhibits I show them to people uh, to to the young generation and actually there's not much space yet for Yiddish far from enough in the public schools in the public schools like they they teach Yiddish but it's kind of a Potemkin village like not really seriously not really with the wish to transmit this culture it's more with the wish to yoitze sein. Yeah. Uh, to, to, no, uh, to, to say that we also we teach Yiddish, we are not ignoring it, but it's, uh, it, it's, it's not a genuine feel yet of what we need in order to really right. transmit a but, culture. But
0: on the other hand, you know, Zionism of course was predicated on an ideology of negation of the Galut, despite the Yiddish roots of Zionism, and, and yet it feels to me as though things are changing. Not everywhere, not every taxi driver on the street, you know, certainly not the whole culture, mm-hmm. but in uh, significant sectors of the population, there's a growing recognition that one really cannot hope to have a strong identity while ignoring one's past, that, that the past does matter. That, not, not to go backwards, to, to yeah. go forward, but that if you want to know who you are and where you're going, you do need to know where you come from. Yes,
1: that, that, that is true. There is this realization uh, it, it goes in many ways, like, uh, in, in, like also for the oriental side of the Jewish history, which everyone felt suppressed here, strangely. Also the Yiddish side and also the oriental side. What What is obvious is that the, the first generation was very impregnated with Yiddish, even though they, they did everything to translate it into Hebrew, like the newspaper writers, the politicians, they were all... I have an uh, audio now which I will show on the on the International Book Fair upcoming yeah. of Ben-Gurion speaking in Yiddish, of course, in '62. Oh, isn't that an incriminating... Yeah. And he says, my loyalty is first to the Jewish people and then only to the Jewish state. It's a nice document. Anyway, uh, so there's much Yiddish here. And there was much Yiddish. There. Like I, I saw also letters between uh, when Leivik uh, writes to uh, um, in the 50s in, in America. They realized that the readership of the Yiddish books is mainly here in Israel. More than in the States. Because in the States, the Americanization already right. starts to... And here, right. maybe... Yeah, you
0: had a lot of survivors, obviously, right? Here, yeah. you yes. have a lot of right.
1: survivors. Right. And also, um, in the homes... And and also, Ben Tzvi, or, uh, ben, Tzvi or uh, ben Zanin, who was the one who who set up the Let's Deny us here, yes, right. he told me that uh, Ben Tzvi, or Eshkol, like ministers and presidents, they would show him Yiddish poetry,
0: really? which
1: really? But, uh, but in public they would hide it away and it didn't exist. But... They were longing for him to say what he thinks about it, and it was important for them. Like, it's just a little bit to understand that the tension which was existing here from the inside and the outside, like uh, was a big muscle game, how to survive.
0: Yes, but, but now it seems no, like the balance is shifting. Now right? it's Maybe. getting better. It's getting yeah.
1: better uh, three, four January. I see the students who come and study at the summer courses here. They're very serious, very into it. They don't look at it as something Exotic or uh, or donkeyishotic, like uh, yeah, donkey yeah, donkey, Yes, yes. Uh, they they look at this as something which really they want to know, and with curiosity. Uh, so it is the people again who will pull the powers and the state towards this better place. Um, like uh, or oh, the the curiosity is growing, and I see it. Uh, I see young young people are coming in also. Again, the influx
0: of the Russian immigrants. Oh, so that's fascinating too. So I just have to say, your organization is called Jung Yiddish, which uh, presupposes there are young people who, or that that you can draw into this, right? How, you know, how how many people are we talking
1: about here? um, Look, I, I have remained. We have remained a very grassroots organization. We have never managed to get the municipal or the stately. Um, support. Yes. Not because uh, b- it was always promised, never given. Budgets here and there. Uh, so we were really dependent on the people. We have now a group of um, three thousand five hundred people on a mailing list who who want to be with it. It's not people with money. They send hundred, two hundred shekels, uh, or so. We are. We cannot really build with them much. Like uh, we yeah. we did what we could. We have two centers working. uh, Two centers, one in Jerusalem, one in Tel Aviv. Aviv. And it's also interesting how these things developed. Like, Jerusalem became, throughout the years, in the last ten years, it became uh, more orthodox, more um, traditional. Um, And also our center became, there in, in Jerusalem, you have more Hasidim. Uh, conversing with conservative and with uh, reform people and with non-Jews. And um, because what is interesting is that, like in Israel you have a big... Um, it's, it's very bipolar. Those who go to the army, those who don't go to the army. Those who are religious, those who are non-religious. Those who are uh, pro, those are contra. Like and, and Yiddish, because of its many shadows, uh, like its many colors of grey or it's many uh, or it's deep past yeah. you know that you know misnagdim chassidim uh, we went already through the whole story and we know a little bit how to handle it so Yiddish uh, managed to spread out its wings about all these corners and round round them and this is a big power which Israeli culture has not yet created this you know there are there yeah, all kinds of pockets yes. the, the, the secular the artist the the so Yiddish yeah, has, a, yeah. has a big thing to do and, and I, I know whoever comes to Yung Yiddish uh, and, and we have, again, uh, like high, high intellectuals, judges, uh, ministers who come and see, they're all touched by this incredible power and, and meaning that Yiddish still has.
0: You know, I, I, I'm here in Israel because we just launched a partnership with the National Library of Israel mm-hmm. to uh, team up to digitize the rest of Yiddish literature and make it fully accessible and searchable online. That's an historic phenomenon for a state-supported library to embrace Yiddish with quite the enthusiasm mm-hmm. it has. We had a launch event at the library two nights ago. 300 people showed up. It began at 8.30 at night. and continued mm-hmm. till 11.30. I mean, God, people have energy in this country. Yeah. But what I was amazed at was the diversity of the audience. All kind of people, you know. Uh, there were expatriates from the United States and Australia and South Africa, and there were Sabras there, and there were religious Jews there, and everybody was sort of in the same room discussing. And, and, and you know, people very high up even in the government and, and the consensus that everybody spoke, you know. Mm-hmm. And they all, I should say, except for me, they all spoke in Hebrew. But everybody, the gist of everyone's talk was, you know, shoenzeit. Uh, yeah, I think you know, that the, I, if it's, it's time, high time. If right? the yeah.
1: consensus was that Yiddish should be out, this was a consensus for, for many years. Like right, uh, right. Uh, Yiddish should be out, the kibbutz should be in, and so forth. Uh, like, and now the consensus is shifting. Like Yiddish is actually a power which could bridge between different uh, different yeah. parts of. So, the so
0: I wanted to ask you a question. So af- at the end of the lecture, everybody's coming up to me. And a uh, young chassid comes up mm-hmm. to me, young chassidic guy, Lubavitch, comes up to me. And he said, I just want to thank you because I've been reading a great deal of Yiddish literature mm-hmm. and I read all the books online through the Spielberg Library and I just want to say thank you for having made this available. And I was kind of amazed because of course, you know, in the Hasidic world for a long time, this was sort of uh, you know, puzzle. This was, this was forbidden literature. Mm-hmm. This was modern, secular literature and it's what you weren't supposed to read except now many of the Hasidim have computers, of course, and mm-hmm. they seem to be gravitating here. So I said to this young guy, I said, so excuse me for asking, but are there others like you? Oh sure, all, all mm-hmm. my friends are reading Yiddish books now. So what do you make of that? Is this uh, shocking, I'm, is I'm, it? I'm not at all astonished. Actually,
1: I find it completely natural. And I think that uh, uh, some kind of secular perception is kind of projecting upon a reality which is actually the Hasidim have always known... Okay, so the, first of all, there's the law, there's what you should do and what you may not do, but, but there's also a quite nice big grey area. So, <laughs> yeah. the Gerach Hasidim would go to Yiddish theatre. R- really? really? You would see them on Motze Shabbos, they were dressed nicely and go to the... And because they were not looked awkwardly at. Now, it is the eye of the secular who kind of can push them away because they were badly looked upon. I've always seen... They come to Yung Yiddish Hasidim, and they open the books, and so this this should really be an always an open gate if we want to converse with our with the different groups. This this really should be, and I see. I, I think that the secular Yiddish world has been a little bit too haughty, really towards uh. towards the the because they have ways of transmitting, they have ways of keeping. Yiddish, uh, all kinds of re- traditions alive, the idioms are much more mm-hmm. alive, the respect mm-hmm. for the language. And so we should, uh, we should work together and, and learn from them. And they want to learn from us also things which we know better than them. And yeah. I think there's much to cooperate
0: you know, so and I, I, I like yeah. it, really, very, very I, I, nice. And
1: I think also and also America and, and Israel and the different worlds, they, they, the Yiddish worlds, they, they really should, we can gain much from from working right. together.
0: Yeah. Let me ask you very briefly, Please. so there's an enormous uh, influx of Russian Jews. Yeah. Has it made a difference? Um, I must
1: tell you that because the history, you know, uh, so after 52, or, or for so many years Yiddish was suppressed that the memories of the younger generation, some older people, they would still know Yiddish, but the younger generations who are the bulk and who are the working and who make now the money and who go into they know very little. They have a feel, a feel. Yeah. They will like the music. They will like the fact that it exists. Right. But the fact that they brought in with them a, a intellectual quest or intellectual new energy, uh, Into the Yiddish world, not really. Very, f- very few. It has not.
0: It was. It was too late.
1: It was too late and too brutally uh, suppressed
0: for many years in, in in this world, in the Soviet behind the Soviet curtain. Yeah. Well, listen. I just want to say, Yasha Koyach, you've done a risika arbet. Really. Uh, well, and you and too. I, uh, and, 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 and I we think we we it's wonderful. We, we,
1: uh, we, yes. we are shitfus, whatever. We we are shutfim, and this is uh, something. It's great to see you here now. Where people <laughs> come to Israel, or people are in Israel and listening to us, how can they find you? They, they can look at the, at the internet at uh, yiddish.co.il, y-i-d-d-i-s-h.co.il, and then they can see the programs. They can, I'm at the central bus station in Tel Aviv,
0: we, we, we should say, that's your office, that's where, you, that's where you're based, right? It's actually in the bus station? In the bus station, inside. Yeah, uh, that, that, that is novel, Mandy. <laughs> uh, it is crazy, and it's a crazy place, very
1: hard to find, and it's all staffed by volunteers, and sometimes few, sometimes more so, sometimes it is closed.
0: Right. Give a call. But, but we should explain, that's like the Israeli Grand Central Station, right? This is sort of the... It is the Grand the Central Nexus. Station yes. with the Oriental Balagan. In yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yiddish, right in the middle it's of the everything. So and I, and, I love and it, then yeah.
1: every Motze Shabbos, every Saturday night in Jerusalem, the are Hasidic Klezmorim playing at Yung Yiddish, Jerusalem. Uh, every uh, Motze Shabbos, every Saturday night at 9 o'clock, it's also something not to miss.
0: The organization is Yung Yiddish,
1: Y-U-N-G... Y-U-N-G. Y I D I S H. You'll find
0: them online and uh, www.yiddishcoil. Uh, log on, check it out, <laughs> come to Israel. It's worth the trip just for this. And You've been listening to a podcast from the Yiddish Book Center broadcast this week from Tel Aviv, Israel. My guest today was Mendy Kahan, our producer, Agnieszka iovitska I'm Aaron Lansky. stark starkin Gesund. Be strong, be well, and tune in again soon.